brought to you by Charity Mobile, the phone company that shares your values. More information is available at CharityMobile.com. Blessed Saturday to you. Today I have something from a, one of the more, we'll say, well-known and um, controversial figures in the 20th century church, Archbishop Marcel Lefebvre. Here he gives an address in 1978, a decade before his uh, consecrations of four priests of the Society of St. Pius X to the Episcopate without the permission of Rome that got him in so much hot water. But this address here was at an ordination of priests ten years before that. And here he talks about the Protestantization of the Catholic Church and how Rome asked him not to ordain these priests, even though Rome has really no say over who gets ordained and does not. Well, at least not explicitly. Now, here's something to uh, consider when listening to this address of his. In recent times, we have heard in France, the a bishop there was prohibited from ordaining men to the priesthood, that their ordinations are just on hold until Rome changes its mind. We have seen illicit, quote-unquote, ordinations happen also in that country involving that same bishop happen because the powers that be in Rome rule the church through fear and are engaged in a rather clear, I mean, Protestantization isn't even the right word anymore. Things have evolved on that front to such a degree now that it's a full-on secularization of the church, of the faith. Hence, we see Francis telling the, his priest to put away grandma's lace to update their vestments. Key thing to remember, when you hear someone in the church say that the faith needs to be brought up to date, that's just a nice way of saying that faith needs to be secularized, needs to be stripped of, the, of that which makes it timeless, the eternal truths of the faith. And here you're going to hear Archbishop Lefebvre say something very similar. Just as a quick aside here, I presented to you our, uh, Bishop Athanasius Schneider yesterday, and the day before I quoted a book of his that was talking about the errors of Vatican II and how he wrestled with them. Well, for those who may be uncomfortable with Archbishop Lefebvre, Bishop Athanasius Schneider in that book had the following to say on his actions and at all the risks he took in order to defend Holy Mother Church. Quoting Schneider, Lefebvre showed great heroism. He was ready to lose everything in this life, all recognition and status, respect and good reputation in the church. He even accepted the fact that he was considered a rebel, a schismatic, and he did it in order to continue to transmit the uncontaminated, complete Catholic truth, to preserve the Mass in all its Catholic richness. To that end, he resigned himself to becoming like a leper in the eyes of the world and the church authorities. Other bishops condemned him. Rome turned away from him. I believe that in the future he will also be raised to the honor of the altars. He gave up everything for Christ, everything in human terms, just to transmit the Catholic faith and the liturgy of the Mass intact. This is a beautiful model for our times. End quote. That's from Bishop Schneider's book, The Springtime That Never Was, which is a critique of Vatican II. And here it sounds to me like he's endorsing the idea that Archbishop Lefebvre is actually a saint, which many of the traditional Catholics out there will say themselves. So, here I have for you an address he gave on the feasts of Saints Peter and Paul, June 29th, 1978. 
one of his more famous addresses. I bring, I bring Archbishop Lefebvre in a couple of once or twice a year. I'm always interested to see how people react to him because I've noticed attitudes towards him changing as things in the church get worse. Let me know what you think of this at the end. God bless. Article by Archbishop Lefebvre that appeared in Il Giornale de Bergamo on 29th of June, 1978. Regardless of what you think of the Archbishop, see if this rings true today. On this feast day of the Holy Saints, Peter and Paul, we are going to ordain 16 seminarians of the Priestly Society of St. Pius X and confer the major orders of the subdiaconate on another 21 seminarians whose formation we are constantly following at the Seminary of Icone. The ceremony will not be postponed, although we were asked to do so in the letter given us by the nuncio and baron in the name of Cardinal Sepper. In conferring holy orders, we are reminded of the last exhortation of the risen Christ to the apostles about the kingdom of God. Peter himself, shortly after Pentecost, was warned by Caiaphas not to act in the name of Jesus, but he disregarded the ban expressed by the highest religious authority of the time, and he told the first 3,000 baptized that the kingdom of God is kept by persevering in the doctrine, in the fractionis panis, the mass, and in prayer. All the activity of the International Seminary of Acone is contained in these three exhortations. The doctrine is not considered a philosophy resulting from studies which must be perfected, as some would have it nowadays, but a deposit given by Christ to the Church, which must be faithfully preserved and whose sense may not be modified by human intelligence. The Holy Mass, the center of all the spirituality of the Icona seminarians, is the daily renewal of the sacrifice of the cross in a real way. It is the indispensable means for obtaining the spiritual strength, which must be expressed in the apostolate of each priest with the sole aim of preaching and spreading the kingdom of God for the eternal salvation of souls. Like the great majority of present-day bishops, we have had this very same formation, which was decreed by the popes ever since the Council of Trent. In 1974, the report of the apostolic visitors made after they had been to Icone was very positive. Rome knows that we train priests the way the Church has trained them for over four centuries. It is well known there, too, that the opening of seminaries and the doctrinal formation relating to them is one of the principal duties of bishops, after that of defending faith and truth. Why, then, do they wish to suppress Icone? Why, eight days ago, were they asking us to suspend the ordinations, to not make good priests? Is it the Holy Ghost who wishes this, or is it the devil? Very grave reasons compel us to take the decisions to continue our activity and to carry out the ordinations on the 29th of June. First of all, the present situation of the Church. In the face of the general apostasy and the destruction of the Church from inside, provoked especially by the post-conciliar reforms and the quote-unquote open spirit which dominated the Council, we think that for the good of the Church and for its very survival, the ordination of good priests is absolutely indispensable. We read again with anguish the statement on the auto-destruction of the Church made by the Supreme Pontiff, Paul VI. Secondly, there is the legal correctness of our situation. In November 1970, we obtained the authorization of the Bishop of Fribourg to form a fraternity in his diocese and to open seminaries according to a statute which was subsequently approved by Cardinal Wright, Prefect for the Congregation for the Clergy. It is difficult to understand how, after five years, suddenly there was the wish to suppress the seminary when we had changed nothing and done absolutely nothing to deserve the suppression.
Besides, the suppression in 1975 was carried out without any trial or any regular interrogation. We retain a conscience that we are not obliged to accept such an arbitrary decision because behind it we see a hand which is not that of the church, an attitude and a lack of respect for canon law which is not that of the church. These things force us to believe that an enemy has penetrated the church and that it is he who orders us to close our seminary and to destroy our society. His enemy is the uh, <clears throat> stonecutters. The constant advance of heresy and apostasy obliges us to think that stonecuttery influence in the curia, worse of a stonecutter house inside the Vatican itself. Cardinals and secretaries hold the offices of their predecessors, who were virtuous, often saintly men, but they do not teach any more the faith of their predecessors, preferring to support the spread of ideas contrary to Catholic doctrine and to preach ecumenism. A decade of silence on the anathemata of the Council of Trent and of Pius VI against the Council of Pistoia. Silence on the documents of the Church's social teaching, the syllabus of Pius IX, Libertas, and Immortale Dei of Leo XIII, Pascendi Dominici Gregis, and the condemnation of the Silan made by St. Pius X, Quas Primus and Diuni Redemptoris of Pius XI, to quote a few of the documents which treat of the authority of popes. This silence increases the suspicion that the Church is occupied by a counter-church of Protestant origin and committed to spreading all the errors which the popes have condemned for more than four centuries. What faith do they ask us to profess? That all that of all time with all the graces deriving from the Mass and from the sacraments and with devotion to Jesus Christ, to the Blessed Virgin and to the saints, or rather the faith of ecumenism, which has produced the Catholic Protestant Mass and the proliferation of every sort of unworthy cultus, which denies the divinity of Jesus Christ and puts all theologies on the same level. They talk to us of obedience. We wish to and we try to obey more and more every day the church of all time founded by Jesus Christ, Son of God and second person of the most holy trinity. But we refuse to obey the stonecutters with its promotion of liturgical reform, resulting in the naturalization of the incarnation. The effects of the liturgical reforms are every day more clear and obvious to all. The ecumenical mass leads logically to apostasy. One cannot serve two masters. One cannot nourish oneself indifferently with truth and error because error with its evil tendencies will triumph over the more austere and demanding truth. Another consequence is apt, one is apt to forget is the destruction of Catholic states. This is being done with the active collaboration of the Vatican. The Mass no longer represents the source of political unity based on the unity of the Catholic faith. Thus, the Catholic state becomes an ecumenical and pluralistic state. Then it soon becomes a neutral, if not atheistic, state in accordance with the conciliar document on religious freedom. Ecumenical liturgy, ecumenical Bibles, ecumenical catechisms are indeed a device of the devil because they cover error with a certain amount of truth. A cone is an obstacle to those who wish to destroy the Mass and the Catholic priesthood. We are convinced insofar as we ordain priests whose spiritual life is modeled on that of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we are serving the Church and acting for the glory of God. We remind those that maintain that we are distancing ourselves from the Church that each of the faithful has the duty of not obeying orders contrary to the faith. The obedience to ecclesiastical superiors finds a limit, in fact, when something harmful or clearly damaging is proposed or ordered in the name of obedience. He who remains faithful to Catholic dispositions and institutions, tested by centuries, renders himself supremely worthy of the Church.
the accusation of separation and of schism made against us because we refuse to participate in the Protestantization of the church is ridiculous. It is, however, deserved by those who foment that same Protestantization. Among them are those who have for a long time fallen away from the Catholic faith, and yet, in common with all the heretics of history, work to try to make the church become like them and conform to their ideas. We cannot understand how intelligent people can state that they prefer to err with the Pope rather than to be with the truth against the Pope. If one day they shall excommunicate us because we remain faithful to these theses, we shall consider ourselves excommunicated by the stonecutters. Our consolation will be that we remain in the company of God and of all the martyrs who have given their lives to keep the faith. The priests we ordain today and all their brothers of the Society of St. Pius X are at the disposal of the Pope and of the Church at any moment to collaborate in the work of restoring omnia in Christo, that is, of bringing back Christ to the center of family and social life, of education, and of every juridical order. In the meantime, we shall continue in our attachment to the Mass of all time, which is the expression of the Ten Commandments. What are the Ten Commandments except for the love for God and for our fellow men? What renders better this love than the holy sacrifice of the Mass? God is glorified by our Lord Jesus Christ through his sacrifice. There can be no greater act of charity for men than the sacrifice of Jesus, who continues to offer his life for us. This is our faith. In this we believe, and for this we pray. We trust in the intercession of the Immaculate Virgin, that she may illuminate and strengthen Catholics of all the world, and, and that the preaching of Christ crucified and of his social kingdom may increase. Pretty spicy words from the Archbishop today. And I have to ask, does that not at least equally apply to what we see now? Think back to the illicit, quote-unquote, ordination of Father Alcuin Reed. Be denied to him a legitimate, quote-unquote, ordination by his own ordinary, because the ordinary was afraid of Rome. And so a brave but anonymous cardinal ordained him and some deacons from his religious order, and now he has been suppressed himself. Now you have to ask, does this not apply? Does what the Archbishop here said not apply to our times today? With the axe or the sword of Damocles hanging over the traditional priestly fraternities in our time, does what the Archbishop here apply, say what he said here 44 years ago, apply to our time today? Let me know what you think of this in the comments. Please like and subscribe if you haven't. It really does help. So always pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.